0: 1 Timothy 6. We'll read verses 11 to 16 and the final two verses 20 and 21. This is the word of the Lord. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Verse 20, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. This is the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God.
1: Will you bow your heads once more with me in prayer? Lord God, we come to you indeed having sung that your word would continue to transform us and be planted deep within us that you would indeed have your way. We ask God that you would fix our eyes on Jesus Christ who died for our sins, was raised on the third day in victory and who has ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of our God interceding for us. We ask that by Your Holy Spirit, You would open our eyes and our ears and allow our hearts to grasp the things that You have set aside for Your people. Would You give us now a peace that the world cannot? And would You, by Your Holy Spirit, call into remembrance all the teachings, the promises, and the truths that You have deposited to Your people here until You return. And we pray this in Your Son's name. Amen. This phrase, fight the good fight, has become very common. We've all heard it. It sounds valiant, powerful, motivational, inspirational. It's something that we can easily say to one another in times of strife and struggle. Fight the good fight. It's not only used by Christians, but by the world. Fight the good fight. And over the years, this phrase has somewhat become too commonplace or too colloquial. Fight the good fight. What is a good fight? What does it really mean? I wonder as Christians, if we really understand what the Bible is trying to teach us, do we understand, as Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, that that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but rather against the, the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places? Do we know that when we're called to fight the good fight of the faith, that it's not simply physical, material. It's not simply something that we endeavor to do here and now in the daily struggles. But it's deeper than that. It's wider than that. It's higher than that. There is a fight, a good fight that requires us to be keen and aware and sensitive to the spiritual natures of what is going on. There is a fight, a good fight, which requires us to think about our faith. Do we as Christians understand that the fight, the battle, again, is not physical, but it's spiritual? That everything that we struggle with and go through, has a spiritual nature behind it. That is why the charge is not simply to fight the good fight. It's not simply to be motivated in times of struggle. It's not simply to keep going. But it's a call to fight the good fight of the faith. The battle, the fight, again, is not just what we can see and feel and touch. It is what we sense in those moments of temptations and grief and sorrow. It's what we sense and realize in those moments when we know that God is trying to teach us deeper obedience, deeper faith, and deeper love. You know, in 1812, Princeton Theological Seminary was established by a man Archibald Alexander. Now that's a cool name. Archibald. Any parents, you're waiting, your children, you don't have a name yet. Why not go with Archibald? Archibald Alexander founded Princeton Theological Seminary in 1812. And throughout the many years, they endeavored to faithfully teach and guard the truths of God found in scripture. Yet at the same time, we find that as the seminary was established on the heels of this era was the enlightenment or the age of reason. And some people call it and refer to what they say is the the Kantian revolution or the watershed that breaks out. It's this idea that humans have been enlightened in such a way where we no longer have to resort to primitive things like God's word or religion or faith, but being enlightened we can actually grow and have a deeper understanding of who we are simply by knowledge. And so over the years, this once faithful seminary, Princeton Theological Seminary, started to grow wayward. And the truth that they were tasked to guard and to teach started to taint and change over time. And during this time, a New Testament scholar and a professor at the seminary decided that this was not right, that this should no longer go on, that this needs to be addressed. And so J.G. Machen battled these false teachings that were poisoning the seminary and the good doctrines of Scripture. And unfortunately... As Princeton Seminary continued to grow in liberalism and false teaching, Machen was ousted. He lost his position in the seminary. And what's more, even his own church deemed him guilty of insubordination and stripped him of all his credentials as a minister. Can you imagine a professor of theology, a pastor at a church, trying to fight the good fight of the faith, to keep the doctrines of God pure, being stripped of all that He has, and being sent out. Well, this was J.G. Machen. So in 1929, Machen founded a new school, Westminster Theological Seminary. This would be a new stronghold to fight the good fight of the faith, to guard the deposit entrusted to the church and its individuals. This was the new station where warriors of the faith will be trained and equipped to fight the good fight. Though he was stripped of all his worldly worth, he fought the good fight. Knowing that the truths of God had to be guarded no matter what the cost. And so the, the gospel message, the main thing I would have us understand today as God's word looks into us is this, simply that we are called to guard the deposit entrusted to us until the appearing of our Lord Jesus the church broadly speaking and at the same time its each individual members you and I are called to guard the deposit that has been entrusted to us until Jesus returns so the first point what is this deposit Look in your Bibles with me in 1 Timothy 6:12. 12. Verse 12 it says this, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. As soon as Paul charges Timothy and the church, and even now God's word, you and I to say fight the good up fight of faith, we are then told to take hold of the eternal life that we were called to by God in Christ Jesus. So what is the deposit? we are referring to. It's it's the eternal life given to us in Christ Jesus. But to be a little bit more specific, it's the good news, it's the gospel that has led to this eternal life. The deposit that was made to every Christian who believes in Jesus, death and resurrection, is that very good news that God loved us so much He sent his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins and all who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. That message, that good news, that gospel is the deposit that we have been entrusted with. That good news that gives life to us. That is what, that's what's been put in our trust to take care of, to cherish and to spread and so then we are called to take hold of it. Now, up to this point, this might sound trite, or you've heard this before, and it's a no-duh, the gospel. Yeah, of course, it's the deposit. But, but one thing I think over time that we seem to neglect is the realization that the gospel, the good news, this deposit is of immense value. You know, sometimes if we talk about one thing too much, or if we explain one thing too much, it seems to devalue it. The more commonplace something is, we seem to uh, uh, lose the awe and wonder of it. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus dying for you and I and being raised on that third day, so that when we believe in him, we too will have eternal life, that message is so valuable. In fact, it's, it's so valuable, it's, it's, it's something that gives us eternal life. What's more valuable than this message? What's more valuable than life for all eternity? What's more valuable than that, friends? What in this world can save your souls? Let me ask you, what in this world can lead to eternal life other than believing in Jesus? What in this world has the power to save you from your sin and misery? What in this world has the power to restore your relationship with the one who has created you? What in this world has the power to give you an eternal life, an eternal home, an eternal rest, and an eternal peace? Eternal. Something that cannot be lost. Something that has no ending. What in this world can grant you that? What deposit in this world can give you and I eternal life and eternal joy? I want us to really think about this. Because right now in the sober-mindedness, it seems so obvious. But often when we get lost in the day's work, when we get lost in cutting the checks and trying to balance our checkbooks and our banks, we get so blinded. What political movement can really solve the brokenness of man? Friends, what amount of money can fix the wretchedness of war and famine and orphaned children? What amount of money can comfort a widow's soul? What kind of art can man create that would simultaneously allow him to understand his his existential being, yet at the same time grasp eternity? as God has placed in their hearts. What kind of education can enlighten a person and satisfy their craving to understand this shifting and uncertain world? What science can give a man everlasting life? What in this world could possibly be more valuable than this good news that has been deposited to you and I in Christ Jesus? Nothing. There is nothing. No amount of riches, no amount of scientific advancements, nothing that man can discover could ever give eternal life that only Christ Jesus can give to us. This is a valuable deposit. And this deposit has been entrusted to the church of Jesus Christ and to the individuals, you and I, who make up this body in comparison, if nothing in this world can satisfy us, if nothing in this world can give us eternal life, then, then in comparison, let me ask you this. Did I say something wrong? Lord, forgive me. <laughs> come back, come back, come back. We're here, okay? In comparison, if nothing in this world can satisfy, then let me ask you this. Let's, let's, let's put what we're talking about to the test then. What can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? What can strip away the value of this treasured great deposit in Christ Jesus who has ransomed you with his life? Who can separate you from the love of Christ? Can any tribulation or any distress or any persecution or any famine or nakedness or danger or sword, can any of those things separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? No. None of those things can separate us. For I am sure that neither in death or life and everything in between... Nor angels or rulers, nor things present or in the past or even to come. No power, no government, no regime, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation could separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because that deposit is shored. That deposit is sealed and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit that was given to us as our Lord ascended into heaven. Brothers and sisters, Remember and recall and be awed once more of how valuable, how beautiful, how treasured this deposit of the good news is. The thing that you hold now in Christ Jesus not only gives you life, but it can give life to anyone who shares it. I was so grateful when our sister asked us to pray for salvation for those who do not have it. Brothers and sisters, don't you know that the the deposit that has been given to you in Christ Jesus is a wellspring of life for you and all those whom you share it with. Let me give you a few illustrations from the Bible. In Matthew 13, it it, it talks about this man. Jesus says this, that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and then he covered it up. And then in joy... He went back and he sold everything that he had and then he bought this field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who finds one pearl of such great value that he sells everything and he cherishes this. That's that's the gift of salvation. That is the kingdom of heaven. It is so precious, it is so beautiful, it is so valuable that when a man comes across it in this vast field, he finds it, and in shock, and in awe, and beauty, he covers it, he goes back to his old life, and then he sells it all away. He gives it, he sells it, he says, nothing that I have, have acquired, or can ever acquire could be of any measurable comparison to what I have found in the field, and he sells it. And he goes and he buys this land and in joy he cherishes this one thing. It's like a man looking for that perfect pearl who finds it and seeing it, enamored and all, and floored by it, goes back, sells all that he has, and says that this one pearl is more valuable, more beautiful, more life-giving to me than all the things that I have acquired or could possibly obtain. That's how valuable this good deposit is that has been entrusted to you and I. How wonderful is this? How beautiful is this? If, if, if this gift is so valuable, isn't it worth guarding? Isn't it worth fighting for? And so our second point, we are called to guard this deposit, to fight for it. You know, years ago, um, I saved up some money working in the fields, quite literally. And then also my parents helped me to buy an engagement ring. And I know, I know right now there are some moral infringements on diamonds and such, and I wasn't aware of all those things. I was a young man, I was in love. I said, I gotta save up some money and get an engagement ring. And so I did, I went with my parents, we picked out a ring, we bought it, and they said, come back in a few days, you can pick it up. So thinking about picking up this diamond ring scared me. We got it in the city in Philadelphia, and it's this, right, a, a, a diamond ring, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's so little, it's so small but I was so scared. I called up two of my friends and said, hey guys, hey man, I gotta go pick up my engagement ring. I need, yo, I need you to roll with me, right? I got all like gangster and scared and, and like strong. I was like, yo, yo, I need you to roll with me, man. I don't want anything to happen. There can be, like, nothing can go sideways, right? And I was in this mission. I was in this, I was in this frame of mind work, like no matter what happens, I gotta pick this up, I gotta guard it and I gotta kill anyone that's in my way and I gotta make it home alive. Right, because of the value that it held, it, it gave me this fear and desire to want to protect it. I remember they came with me, we picked it up, slipped it in my pocket, and they were just walking in front of me. And I, people must have thought I had something insanely valuable. I mean, for most people, you know, the cost of the ring is not even that crazy, but in my mind, I was like, I was like, yo, 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 flank right, flank right! If something is of value, then in your heart there is a desire to guard it, to protect it, to fight for it. I remember driving home down 309. I was so scared I was gonna lose this ring that I put it on my pinky. And I drove <laughs> with, this, with my hand on the steering wheel at 12 o'clock staring at this. I was like, don't go anywhere, don't go anywhere. Don't jump off, don't jump off of my hand. I'm looking at the road with the peripheral but my focus is on the ring. Don't lose this, don't lose it, don't lose it, don't lose it. As Soon as I got home, slammed the door, locked it, went up into my room, put it in the closet, and then I looked behind me like somebody followed me. (laughs) This ring, in some ways, gained me a wife. But the deposit, the good news that gives eternal life, gains and affords for us something this world can never provide. It's worth fighting for. It's worth guarding. In verse 11, it says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, If we're referring back to what the context said before, what Paul is saying is flee from false teachings, from irreverent babble of things that are gonna divide the church and hurt the individuals in the church. He's saying, He's saying, flee from the desire to be rich in this world, but 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 be content in God. Flee from thinking that if you can just amass enough things and security in this world that your future will be sure. Flee from these false ideas of hope that is fading. that is is worth nothing and fight for what is eternal. And so I want to try to boil it down the best I can to make this practical for us because I understand right now this is all good and beautiful, but in the day-to-day life and struggle and the grind of work and parenting and studying, especially in the holidays, trying to balance all the family and all the relationships and buying gifts and then looking at your bank account and seeing that you're broke again, I know in the daily grind of it, Fighting the good fight is difficult. I know in the daily walk of your faith, constantly seeing your sin and your shame and your sorrow and then turning to your Savior to be saved once more can be a tiring task. But that is why it is a fight. Do not be surprised at the hardships. Do not be surprised that the call and the charge for the church and the people is to fight because it is a fight. You know, as we think about this, I want to I give you something to hold on to even after this message. You know, a lot of times, uh, when, we, when we think about how to apply a message, it can be difficult. We're not sure where to start. You know, oftentimes when I, when I feel like I've been so far away in my busyness, and I, I don't even have the words to pray, this is what I just simply pray. This Psalm 139, 23 and 24 I say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I pray, God, my heart's a mess. My mind is boggled. I've been all over the place. I'm busy. The fights of the world have overcome me. Will you search me? Will you know my heart? Will you test my thoughts? And if there's anything that I have to repent of and let go of, God, would you lead me to the way that is everlasting? Would you lead me to continue to fight this good fight of faith? I'll encourage you to pray those things in the weeks to come, when you think about that moment and you're awakened to that spiritual battle and say, "Oh, this is this is this." This is what God's Word was talking about. This is when I have to fight the good fight of faith. If I can try to apply it, parents, I know the days can be so rough. The whole day you're thinking about trying to provide for your children while trying to get your cup of coffee, trying to zip up their jackets, get them out the door. You're trying to think about what's a healthy meal that you can cook. You're trying to, you're trying to think about their, their days in school and if they have any friends or if they're being bullied. You're trying to think about what they're learning, what they're struggling with. You're trying to go to the grocery stores while they're going crazy and screaming. You're trying to save up enough money for right now and even for their own future and it just feels like it can't be done. But parents, this will be hard to hear, but do not store up your treasures even in your children. The reality is that they too will pass away one day that your children will not live forever, that your children cannot be your treasure, that your children cannot be the thing you guard the most. Parents, we are called to guard the deposit that has been given to us. And one of the best thing a parent can do for their child is to give and pass on this deposit so that your child too would know, if all the things in the world were to fade away, that they can have hope in Jesus and eternal life. That is the best type of parenting. In whatever way you can apply that, they're never too young and they're never too old to teach them and to deposit this treasure in their hearts to know that it is sealed and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Parents, can we teach our children to treasure and to desire true value? You know, I know as employees and employers working in the grind, clocking in, clocking out, trying to save up. Trying to build up your bank funds, your trusts, trying to leave something for your children perhaps, or even to save up for something in the future. May it remind us of last week's message. Don't desire simply to be rich because you think that will secure your future. Use money as a tool and convert it so that that earthly tool can have eternal gain for the kingdom. Workers, if you are working and saving up just for simple pleasures in the world, pleasures in the world's okay. Vacation, it's good. Go. Save up for a house, that's great. Have a college fund for your children? Yes. I'm not saying that those things are bad. I'm saying if you find your ultimate security in the future with how much money you're saving up now, then you will be sorry. Rather, use that money. Use it as a tool for for depositing this eternal message into other people's lives. If that means getting involved in missions, if that means giving more to the church, if that means getting involved in an organization that can allow the gospel of God to go forth, do it. May I remind you even further that our ultimate goal as Christians is not simply to have a job. Your purpose in life is not equated to your job or your career or whatever it says on your job title. As a Christian, your endeavor is to preach Christ in deed and in word so that all who are around you could see and perhaps even have for themselves this great deposit. That means it doesn't matter if you're working at McDonald's, in the hospital, in the dental office, if you're a student in a university, at a community college, you're taking a gap year, and you're just working at some car wash. It doesn't matter what station in life you are in. If you have this great deposit, then your joy and your endeavor is to share this great deposit. That's how we fight the good fight of faith in our workplaces, in our household, and in our churches. Often, most of all, we find that these spiritual battles happen when it's tough to forgive one another, when we hurt one another, when we step on one another's toes. You know, I know it's so difficult. It's so difficult. Uh, it's so difficult for, for parents or perhaps some of the older folks here to engage with other people because you feel, there's such a sensitivity of when your children are running out or when things about you are known, when you share your weaknesses, you feel so vulnerable. You, you, you feel that you can be taken advantage of and sometimes those things do happen. And a lot of times when we nick one another with our own sins, it's, it's a spiritual battle to forgive and to love and to see once more those people as Christ sees us. It's a spiritual battle. Loving one another is not easy because it's a spiritual battle. Loving one another is not easy because it's not just the other person. It's a sin and sin colliding. Speaking out and seeking out truth is not easy. Praying for and desiring in the church peace and unity and purity is not an easy task because it's a spiritual battle. Because there is an enemy would love to see everything go sideways. You know, Paul, in his old age, as a battle-tested warrior, as a game-tested athlete, as a faithful steward of the deposit, he charges Timothy and the church and all the generations to come to guard this truth, to fight the good fight of faith because it is worth it. Paul, in his old age, as he reflects, as he writes and pens and passes on to the generations to come, he says to fight this good fight of faith. Guard this deposit. Why? Because Jesus will return. And our final point, in verse 13-15, through Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which He will display at the proper time. Yes, it's a fight. Yes, it's a battle. Yes, it's uphill. Yes, it's hard. But there is an end when Jesus returns. It's a guarantee that the fight will cease, that victory is coming, that the end is near, that we don't have to fight for all eternity, but when Jesus comes... He will settle everything. He will pass judgment on everything. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of Lords, that he is the sovereign, the only one who allows his people to approach the unapproachable in light and in glory. Jesus will return. We can fight. We can battle. We can persevere. We can endure. We can press on. We can run the race of faith because we know there is an end. It's not ambiguous. It's not arbitrary. There will be a day that the Lord has set aside in His wisdom and His sovereignty that He will return and call all those who have been fighting and running and hoping in Him home. You know, a few weeks ago in the Washington Post, there was an article about the Afghanistan War and and they were quoting many things and, and some of the things they quoted was generals how during this wartime, they said, you know, we didn't quite know how to define victory. We didn't know what we were fighting for. We didn't know how long this war was going on. This is not true for the spiritual warfare. This is not true for our battle, our fight, our race. We know how to define victory. Victory is defined by making Christ Jesus our own just as he has made us his own. Victory is defined by trusting in his power who has subjected all things, even death, under him so that when we see him, our lowly bodies will be transformed like his glorious body. Victory is defined when Christ comes and calls us home. Victory is defined by eternal life, eternal peace, and an eternal home where there will be no more sin and darkness. How long, you say, though? How long? And I'm reminded when Dr. King in his civil rights movement, almost prophetically using biblical language but framework to the people that he's speaking to, those who are weary of the fight of the civil movement, but knowing that it's also, also a spiritual battle. He, he, he asked the people, he, and he told the people, he said, I, I know what you're thinking. Someone out there is saying, how long? How long? And I love it. He says, how long? Not long. It won't be long. It won't be long. I know the days feel long. The years feel longer longer. But tell me, as you look back, how quick, the, how quick did time pass? How long has, has, has God sustained you and kept you? You know, every New Year's, and I'm looking forward to this New Year. every New Year's, uh, when we gather, my family, my, my, my grandfather leads worship and we sing the same hymn every year. I don't know what it's called in English, but I know the first few lines in Korean is like, You guys are laughing because you sing it too. But you know what? I, 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 found the, I found the English translation of what those lyrics were and it was amazing. It talks about how God has brought us this far this far. And, and there's something beautiful every year singing it. After, after another year has passed, singing, God has brought me this far. Another year has passed, God has brought me this far. And then I imagine my grandfather, who is old in age, singing it. Even now he brought me this far. One more year. And I, and, and I can imagine in his eyes as he looks back, even though the way forward was, was so long and arduous, looking back, it feels so quick. It, he, he only sees the Savior leading him. And all those long days and all those long years is just another pass, and I'm another year closer to glory. I'm another year closer to Christ. Even now, God's great grace, it has led us. Jesus is going to return. The fight will end. The fight will end. But until He returns, I charge you, ELM, friends, brothers and sisters, all who are sitting here, to guard the good deposit that you have in Christ Jesus. And if you don't have this deposit, then can I plead with you, think once more, what in this world can ever measure up to the value of eternal life? But if you trust, if you believe in Jesus, then you have this great eternal deposit. And no, life will not be any easier. In fact, it'll be harder. Because as Paul says in Philippians also, that when we're called to Christ, we're not only called to believe, but we're also called to share in his sufferings, to engage in the same warfare and the battle and the fight in the spiritual realm of faith to endure and persevere. But once this quick and fleeting life is done, for all eternity, you will have joy overflowing. Not for days, not for hours, not for years, but for all eternity. You know, on my last day, I want to be able to say, what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4. I want to be able to say that I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, and henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What Paul is saying is this, when Jesus returns, All who have longed and waited for his appearing will receive a crown of righteousness, an eternal glory, an eternal joy, something that this world can never snuff out. And so until our last day, can I charge you, brothers and sisters, of the faith to fight the good fight of faith. Guard the deposit entrusted to you until the appearing of our Lord Jesus. Let's pray together.